The following is part of our Framework for Trust program at FAC Liverpool. This program considers how our 2021 artists and residents think about trust and the relationship it has to their work. This program is supported by the EU-funded Horizon 2020 project, Arts Formation. More information and the rest of our Framework for Trust program can be found at fact.co.uk. Morning, Shona. So I thought I'd kick off our questions to each other with maybe the biggest one and one that I really don't know the answer to and something that you might be able to help me with because I know you've probably had to think about this a lot as part of your practice. Can artists be trustworthy? And or maybe looking at it another way, is the artist someone who is trusted? I'd love to know what you think. I'll speak soon. Bye. Hey, Tessa. Um, I was smiling when I was listening to your question about um, can artists be trustworthy? Because I guess there's nothing more suspicious than somebody who tells you that they're trustworthy. But in answer to the question, are artists trusted? I think I would like to think anyway that it was a a firm and resolute yes. Um, I think for me, the kind of creative process is about an act of care and, you you know, you are being trusted with something quite special, um, particularly when you're working with participants. Um, yeah, and if you don't care about what you're making, if they don't trust that you care about what you're making, then I, I think the relationship would be really difficult. Um, so I was just thinking about this. I've just been to have my hair done and I was thinking about this, so I was sat in the chair and... When I go to the hairdresser, you go in and you tell them what you want and then you trust them to get on with it. And I was trying to think of like the notable occasions where where that's gone very wrong. It's been because either there's been like a communication issue and I've not explained very well or they've not understood what it was that I wanted. Um, Or I've been really unrealistic in my expectations, like no matter how many pictures I take in, I'm not coming out look like, looking like Angelina Jolie. Um, and sometimes it has been because the hairdresser has not cared what I have asked for. They've cared what they wanted to do and they've just done that. And I'm like, well, that's not what I wanted. And it's kind of a breakdown in trust and I've not gone back to that person. Um, I don't know, it might be a strange analogy, but I was thinking that kind of, that kind of feels to me very much like working in uh, in social practice um so that kind of yeah the relationship with like commissioners and with participants i think has to be based around this kind of shared vision and a shared care and the trust that we're all invested in that um or we don't come back that's the whole thing you can do it once maybe and you might get away with it once but the the in terms of kind of coming back to work with the same organisational work with the same participants or even work with the same participants working with another artist in the future I would hate to think that would ever put them off so I think it's um it's a really precious gift and something to be treasured the the element of trust um and yeah I mean it might apply more in social practice than in kind of um different forms of art or a more commercial transaction but I imagine if you're I don't know a painter making work for a gallery and again you don't have the shared vision and the trust in each other that you're looking out for each other's best interests, I think that that, that relationship would break down quite quickly. Um, yeah, or caring and sharing, all about the caring and the sharing. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, do you trust yourself? Because um, I've been making some work recently and I was very much second-guessing myself um and yeah it makes me really think about how much trust we have to put in ourselves so i'll be interested to hear what you have to say about that all right see you soon bye hi shona thanks for your message um i know exactly what you mean about trust at the hairdressers it's a often like a moment of kind of optimism or like I don't know, maybe one of the more sort of challenging bits of communication that you can do in your everyday life, I always think. 
I once told a hairdresser that I wanted my hair to be an awkward length, like I got it caught in a threshing machine. And he got it right, I think. It kind of worked. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's after many years of just being like, one Anna Karina, please, and kind of hoping they can they can do something with that. Um, it's funny what you say about artists and trust and I was really heartened by what you say I I thought it was really optimistic and it made me feel good about this uh this crazy life we've chosen for ourselves um I suppose I was kind of coming at the question from more of a sort of solitary practice point of view um which is that I I think if you're I so I started as a writer before I moved into kind of more interdisciplinary practice and I think the kind of classical understanding of a writer is maybe a figure that people people don't trust you know they they think you're kind of mining them for for material all the time or that you're you've somehow got an ulterior motive when you're um when when you you know you're talking to them or when you're just kind of like going about your life I kind of think about the Graham Greene line quite a lot where he says the writer should have a, a chip of ice in their heart. I don't know whether that's true. Um, you need a lot of heart in there as well, don't you? It's, um, but it's, um, you also need kind of objectivity and distance, I suppose, is his, is his meaning. Um, but, you know, less and less, I'm, I'm not so sure I'm convinced that's true. I think it's, you know, it's... I'm, certainly sort of mellowing and I think you know everything's about kind of um ways we can we can look after each other and and care for each other as you say and I'm I'm glad that you feel that trust is um is something you've been able to kind of nurture in in your social practice it's um what it's definitely something I found quite hard making this work because I feel as though I'm engaged in a social practice, but with dead people. So I'm working a lot with archive, um, and I've been looking at clips of actresses and dancers who are not around anymore, and sort of thinking about them as as um, women of my well, my grandmother's generation as well, and you know, Anglo-Indian, and you know, that similar kind of in between liminal for to use a slightly overused word, um, kind of identity that they inhabited. And I, I've been feeling a kind of sense of responsibility, but there's no way of checking that everyone's okay with it. There's no release forms you can sign. There's no kind of code of practice. So that's been hard. And I suppose that moves me on to the question that you asked me, which is, do you second guess yourself? And yeah I do all the time all the time it's um it's very hard to um to stop talking yourself out of things I always think um you know we've kind of all heard people say that you know well the bit of your brain that criticizes isn't the same as is the bit that creates oh there's a train going past Big train. Bear with me. I actually really like the noise of trains, so um, quite enjoying this. And there's a lot of trains in um, in dark circles in the work that I'm making, so um, that feels like a kind of a fortuitous coincidence but I'm standing next to a train track between the train track and the Leeds-Liverpool canal so maybe not that surprising anyway what was I saying um I think yeah so second guessing myself has been um has been a bit you know a big issue and yeah you can you can talk yourself out of anything but I think also when what the space I'm interested in exploring with my writing is um, is kind of using one thing to work another thing out. So you write 
through a subject and you kind of come to a conclusion about kind of something else you know you write about pop music or childbirth or grief or trains and it'll kind of bring you to kind of some hopefully kind of more optimistic understanding about something else and I don't know if you can completely separate that from self-criticism so that kind of trust in myself and doubting myself is probably always going to be something that I I wrestle with and uh, you know maybe that's okay maybe I just need to make peace with that I'm not sure um do you how do you feel I mean you obviously it's a, it's important as a sort of socially engaged artist that um that other people trust you but there must be moments where um where you kind of you you sort of doubt yourself and I, I've kind of found this as I know we've both got kids it's like I found this as a parent as well like sometimes you'll need to kind of stand your ground on something and as you're doing that and doing your kind of like stern face or whatever you're just thinking hang on a minute have they have they got a point how do we how do we renegotiate this I don't want to be an authoritarian parent you know let's move this into a spirit of collaboration it's um yeah I don't know maybe all human communications are like that even the hairdressers I'm not sure but I'd love to know how you feel Shona I just remembered I had one more question to ask you and I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about um, about trust in your in your own practice because that sounds really interesting to me and I wondered whether any situations had ever come up where someone had raised an issue with or a question about the way that you were working that had made you you rethink things and whether that's a kind of point where either you doubted your previous working methods or um or just kind of decided you wanted to change something um because you said i think what was really nice about your message was you sound sort of very open and i think if you kind of enter into making art in that in that sort of collaborative and, and caring spirit maybe it's it's not as um kind of inherently suspicious a relationship as people might expect got cut off a bit abruptly there because there was another train and I thought it would get a bit old if that happened every single time um but yes I just wondered um how you felt about that and whether kind of that's kind of a position that you'd you'd arrived at and had to work through some sort of problems to get there or or whether you just feel that um working in a socially engaged way it's um always something where where trust is quite central to what you do okay speak soon bye Hi Tessa, um, I'm loving the train soundtrack. I wonder if there's anybody listening to this that can like identify the uh, the make and the model of the new year just from the noise of the train passing. I'm always kind of in great awe of people that have that kind of specialist knowledge about anything really. Um, I feel like I know a little about a lot. Um, and I guess I suppose that's one of the things about my practice. It's the, it's the kind of being quite joyfully amateur and DIY. Um, I think I try very much not to be an expert or present myself to the participants as an expert um, or teach. Uh, it's much more about collaboration and, and kind of learning together or finding things out together based on what we're interested in. Um, yeah, I suppose my, my last message was joyfully optimistic. I, I had really good hair having come back from the hairdressers, so, you know, it put me in a good mood. Um, I, yeah, I've thought quite a bit over the years, I think, about what you said about um, mining for information. Um, I'm always, like, really consciously um, aware that... Um, when I'm working with participants, and I work quite a lot in in what people might describe as deprived communities, although I think there's there's that whole element about taking certain um, values of what it counts to be deprived, and it's not appreciating the things that um, we might have lots of um, as opposed to material wealth. But working with communities that are marginalised or disenfranchised, perhaps, and um, working with them to produce work that then goes into an institution or um, a space where they're not necessarily welcome or, um, or feel comfortable, 
for an audience that is not them. Um, and there's that kind of the ethics of that, of, of making work with one group when the primary audience will be another group and how much then um, you are using the first group and how much control they have over it, um, how they want to be seen, how that will be perceived. Um, I think there's a still this kind of um, snobbery a little bit about work that is based on participation rather than kind of the traditional genius artists sat alone in a room uh, making and thinking for themselves. And obviously, you know, that that happens that's a great model if that that's what works for you but there's then that kind of um yeah kind of snobbery about work that's been made collaboratively um and it's there because it's it's ticking a box or it's here's a voice you might not have heard before um and I think for me that's I make work with these communities because that's the communities I think are most interesting I make <laughs> the work that I'm interested in and quite often when I go to gallery spaces I, I might see things that kind of surprise me or delight me but they're not necessarily what I find the most interesting um so yes yeah, so it's always been like a big thing about for me um about making sure that I'm not just going in somewhere mining people for their terrible sob stories of their hard lives and then presenting it back to uh, a very middle class audience so we're going oh yes that is terrible we should really do something about it shall we let's go and see the installation in studio three um because that's that feels wrong to me that feels not uh, authentic which is why I've done a lot of um, like site-specific work. Um, but then even then when you're sharing like the documentation of that on social media, I'm aware who's seeing it and who's watching it. And I think it's, for me, the whole trust element is about people being allowed to um, present as authentically as we possibly can, but knowing that it's never going to be completely authentic out of the space that they control. Um, so if you come down to to a community centre to see a piece of work um, from a women's group that they have put together, they presented in the way that they, they feel most accurately reflects them, that's going to be a very different experience than me working with that group and then presenting work back in a gallery or back in uh, an institution or whatever it might be, a museum or whatever. Um, so it's trying to kind of recreate that authentically, but also, yeah, just having it in your head and knowing that that's, that's an issue and talking about that with the group and talking about how they would like to be seen. Um, and I try, I, I almost try and think to like throw things in there that's that might surprise people, that it's not the stereotypes because there's no... Um, there's no such thing as an ordinary person from an ordinary council estate. It's like everybody's different across the world. So this idea of presenting a story um, and like the whole white saviours thing, it just, yeah, I'll try and, and like foreground that, I suppose, by thinking about it right from the beginning and talking about it with participants. Um, so it's been really interesting working on this this project with Facts where it's all been online because obviously it's a very different sort of space and it's and it's a... It's kind of a gallery-owned space from the very beginning. So the participants that are coming in are participants that are really familiar with the institution. They're really familiar with the team. Um, they kind of they understand the kind of work that's presented there. They've seen it. They've experienced it. Um, so that's been really interesting. And it's been a little bit different. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's been shown in a couple of weeks so it'll be interesting to see so the participants haven't seen the work yet so ask me in a couple of weeks when they've seen it whether or not they felt that it was authentic um and we'll see but yeah I think for me it's a big part of it is recognizing the limitations um and recognizing that that there will be that limitation if, if you're making work with one group for a space that is not theirs um and I suppose that again that comes back to the trust in me to pull it together in a way that accurately represents them um the trust in the institution to um to pull that show together to curate it or to market it to write about it to um yeah to to hold it um for something that that feels that it's not exploitative um and I think that yeah it can be really really hard and I think you know the the I work for a lot of non-arts organisations and, and quite often you do get that idea that you're being 
kind of, you know, it's the artist riding on a white horse to save people from their own poverty and bad taste. And, you know, and then I turn up and I'm pretty poor. And my taste is, is, is as low as it can get. And I, I fully celebrate that. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it can be an issue. Um, but I think talking about these things and being really open about them is the only way to get over that and, and finding the compromise and negotiating the spaces and the the control um, is the best way to kind of try and come to some sort of resolution. And I've never found the perfect one yet, but, you know, I still need to get paid. And if that means presenting work in spaces that, that, that pay artists, then that's what's going to have to happen. Um, so it's, it's that kind of trying to take care of participants along the way so that they don't feel that they are being exploited in any way. Um, so I've just had to do like an ethics form for um, for university, for a research project, um, which is really interesting because I've never, in, in all my years of working on arts projects, I've never filled out an ethics form. It's just taken for granted, I think, that, oh, we're making art, so it's it's for good. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're working for good, not evil. Uh, it's art, so it must be ethical. We must have, have thought about all these things. And actually, we probably don't think enough about them. Um, so the ethics form was quite funny because it was a general university-wide one. So it had things about, are you going to store human tissue? And I'm like, yeah, probably not, no. Um, are your participants going to be awake while you're working with them? And I'm like, well, I hope so. Um, but then that would be a really interesting thing about how would it be interesting would it be to work with participants where they were asleep? Hmm, interesting. Um, are you going to lie to participants? And if you're like, well, of course I'm not going to lie to participants. And then you think, well, can I 100% guarantee that? Could I tell them something at the beginning that turns out for who's ever fault or for whatever reason at the end turns out not to be true because circumstances have changed um so I was hovering over the yes no I think I tick no because I wouldn't deliberately lie to participants but that's a big old statement to make um things about like storing data which was obviously all about GDPR and, and you know keep people's names and addresses but actually a lot of the work I do is about collecting stories and that's like that's data of a different type but it's 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 data that goes to people's core it's people's memories it's people's dreams and nightmares and um experiences and their best times and their worst times and that's like really important data and how do I store and protect that um which is obviously a very different thing than you know making sure that you know the, you're not selling it onto a commercial company. But if 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 you're selling it on as a piece of artwork, in the sense that an institution gives me money um, for that information, so yeah, it just brought up some really really interesting questions for me, and I was I'm sort of quite keen to to push that a little bit further and explore this idea of asking myself some of those questions. And, and making that part of my process um, as we go along, you know, doing an ethics form. What would an ethics form for um, for a social practice po- project look like? Or what would an ethics form look like for your project where you can't get um, permission from the people whose archives you're working with? Um, how do you make sure that you're that you're storing their data or you're or using their data in a way that they would be happy with. So, yeah, I just think it's really interesting to ask, ask ourselves these questions. And I think that's, for me, where the trust will come in is is the fact that we're being open and honest and, and saying these things up front and not pretending to have the answers or pretending that we've filled out a form on day one and therefore the issues are all resolved and it's not something that will come up um, and there won't be new things to solve. Um and new challenges along the way um so yeah so I think I think I might you know asking about what what I've thought about a trust that's changed by practice that that has really got me thinking about how that gets woven in um a little bit more I've always had kind of the the questions about feeling trusted and feeling the the both the burden of trust and the gift of trust as well I think it's 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 a double-edged sword really um as you go along and not wanting to take advantage of that um yeah so I'm really waffling now aren't I <laughs> but yes yeah, thank you for the questions um 
So I guess, yes, we talked about trusting ourselves. That was really interesting. I never heard that before about the um, the creative voice in your head and the critical voice in your head are different people. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I remember watching a really interesting Zoom talk. I can't even remember who it was by, but over lockdown. And um, it was an artist who was saying that she had like company meetings, but with herself. Um so she kind of sat at all the, the places around the table and she thought about a project from the position of being like purely kind of creative vision. But then she thought about it from the kind of project management point of view and the finance point of view and the marketing point of view um, and the critical point of view. And then perhaps, you know, maybe there's an ethical point of view as well. But I just thought that idea of kind of trying to separate out those strands and play with it with different hats. And I thought was was quite was quite a fun way of doing it and, and really making sure that you had considered all of those angles um so yeah so I think that throws up the question for me then if you mostly trust yourself who else do you trust do you trust um people who commission you and by people I mean the the, the organizations not <laughs> don't know names um, I don't mean you know the the uh the poor person that's uh that's on the email chain I mean you know in terms of kind of arts institutions um funding bodies um do you trust them do you trust them to to recognize your work to value your worth to care for you to make sure that you are in an environment uh where you feel supported and nurtured um or does that change and do, do you start off this is a really long question. Do you start off trusting and then wait to see if that's rewarded? Which is, a th- I think what I do, I start off from a position, maybe that's because I'm hopeless optimist, but I start off a position of trusting everybody and unless they prove otherwise. Or are you a bit more, um, bit more cynical and start off with a position of you have to earn that trust as you're working with me? I'd be really interested to hear what you have to think. Um, and I hope you're having a lovely day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, Shona. Thanks so much for your response. It was it was really good to cover so much ground. And you, you mentioned a, a lot of things in your last message that I've thought about quite a lot as I've kind of moved into kind of my art practice being like one of the main parts of my job um yeah it's funny isn't it so I didn't I don't know about you but I didn't go to art school um I didn't I have no training to be doing this um I did a master's in like art and cultural theory part-time in my late 20s while I was while I was still working and then kind of moved into into making work quite gradually after that in sort of my early 30s um but yeah, I didn't um didn't go to art school and I didn't kind of set out to do this initially and as a consequence I've spent a long time working like normal jobs. You know, I worked but before I had my kids I and like for quite a bit after and still kind of on and off. I worked for charities and some arts organisations more recently. Um and that's sort of where I cut my teeth. So that, those kinds of practices of, of sort of care and consent and um, making sure that, say, participants in any sort of project are, are kind of looked after and on board with things, they were quite um, second nature in some of the charity jobs that I've done, um, which were kind of rooted in like community development and of community projects and quite grass grassroots stuff like that um and I didn't realize how relevant they were going to be to art making until I started doing that and then you kind of start realizing that you know work is work there isn't really a kind of dividing line between the art world and not the art world I think it's just that as you move through art you're kind of encouraged to to think of you know it as um you know, the art world as being such a distinct thing that something is only real if it happens in an art way. And I don't think that's a particularly useful or um, generous way of viewing the world. You know, contemporary art has a huge amount to learn from 
charities or organizing or activism and you know people are realizing or care work you know people are realizing that now um and it's all for the better um but i was so i was quite struck um last year in response to black lives matter you know there were arts arts institutions and you know frequently kind of white middle class arts institutions were you know, they were sort of scrabbling over themselves to um, kind of respond to the protests and often frequently, really inadequately, I thought, and with very kind of little kind of uh, self-reflection. But underpinning it, I felt that there was an assumption in the art world that however bad or inadequate their response was, everywhere else must be worse. And, you know, that you know, like you were saying with the ethics form, you know, the, um, the arts kind of assumes that it's naturally ethical. And it's, it is, it's an assumption. It's not even like an unpacked thing. Um, and I really felt that last summer. And I felt very fortunate to have spent, you know, 15 years working outside the art world and to, to kind of see that sort of practices of of sort of care or um, like hiring practices or anonymizing data or making provision for um, for people um, people's you know different beliefs or different needs or different kind of uh, um, access requirements you know all of the stuff that the art world has kind of been coming around to in the last sort of three or four years was standard practice in sort of community activism 10 15 years ago and it's good that everyone is kind of that the world if the world is getting better that's a good thing and everyone's kind of moving in the right direction but um but that the kind of uh unquestioning assumption that um that they that, that the art world was kind of assuming that it was one of the best when actually it's you know it's often really not um was was quite striking and i think that's until you start kind of challenging that i'm a little bit skeptical about how much progress can can sort of truly be made so I don't know that's where sort of trusted institutions goes I'm quite selective I think about where I would apply for and as I don't know whether that's working out for me or whether I've just been lucky but I have been I have been very lucky and everyone that I've worked with in an institutional context has been very careful and very ethical and you know a lot better than kind of um than maybe the you know than most and a lot better than you know kind of other things that I've seen reported elsewhere so so yeah I've been I've been very fortunate um and I'm also you know like I say kind of fortunate to have a bit of perspective I suppose um from having sort of done other jobs for a while I've also got very quite low expectations of um how much money I can realistically earn from art making and like you know still kind of juggle other work alongside that and I think you know I've just made peace with that it's kind of fine um I don't really see another way and it's yeah I don't know I turned down some paid work earlier in the year because um I didn't, I had some concerns about kind of the way that the organisation was, was operating and that was hard to do because I did really need the money at the time but actually it worked out well because if I'd taken that I wouldn't have been able to get something that came along shortly afterwards. So it's, yeah, it's a kind of constant juggle I think, kind of picking people to um, be on your team or to try and join their team who are, are kind of ethical and trustworthy and you know none of us you know we're all I'm sure going to have kind of some good experiences and some some bad ones but I I kind of feel that generally everyone that I've worked with I have started off trusting and you know I I don't know I think I, I can be quite a cynical person but it doesn't really it's not really borne out in my my conduct really I I think to the concept of someone earning your trust 
I'm just not really sure how that would work in practice. You know, do you, are you supposed to test them? Do you kind of, do you wait for things to kind of go wrong and then see how they, they sort of put it right? I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it feels kind of like the, the, the sort of pure of heart way, I suppose, is just to, to try and kind of keep your ethical principles you know, in mind from, from sort of day one. And once you've, um, and, you know, to, to work with people who kind of like fit, um, fit in with your ethics. But once you've done that to sort of start off from position of trust and just kind of be sort of mindful that, you know, a lot of the time, most people are trying their best, you know, and the, you know, sometimes when people kind of breach trust or get things wrong it's because they're clueless and you know that that could be a kind of teachable moment I suppose um so yeah I don't know it's hard to say I've but I have I've I do feel like I've been quite lucky so far with with kind of institutions but I'm also quite conscious that in terms of like who do you trust about kind of making decisions on your artwork the artist to kind of curator or to producer or to commissioner or funder even, that relationship, the artist has a huge amount of control over how that inform- what information reaches them and how it's kind of mediated. And, you know, they, they only have the information that you tell them. So really the buck's going to stop with you as an artist because you, you're basically like, like filtering that information out to them. And I think probably the same goes with participants in work as well you know that you can be as you know open and as honest and you know you're not lying to them and you're not retaining any human tissue and they're definitely all awake and all those sorts of things but they've only you know they're only taking your word for it so the artist has to be trustworthy um or else the whole thing just just falls apart um I don't know whether they always are, I'm sure they're not, but I think, you know, something, things will start to go wrong very quickly if the artist isn't trustworthy. And I hope that the same applies to kind of what I'm doing with Archive, but I have no way of checking, you know, there are no release forms and, you know, nothing that I can, it's, it's only, it's all on me, um, which has been something that I've found quite daunting, I think, kind of working with, um, with it and just being trying to silence the critical voice to kind of let the creative voice um, be heard. So I don't know whether there's uh, a perfect solution to that, but, but I suppose as an artist, you have to accept that you are to some degree a an author or an editor or a co-author at least of of your work even if you couldn't make it without other people and because you're in in control of of what information kind of reaches funders participants marketing the public everything um that it's you know it's on you if it's full of lies or or if it's untrustworthy i suppose And just to follow up on that with another thought and maybe a question too is, um, so I I said just now that if an artist's not trustworthy, then it all starts to fall apart. And that should be true, shouldn't it? But as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of loads of stories that I've heard as I'm sure we all have and things on the whisper network about numerous instances of of sharks or artists who weren't trustworthy or who who lied or kind of screwed people over and I wonder if what the consequences are you know in in a fairly kind of niche industry where even a successful work has like quite a small audience or a sort of small number of people who are kind of keyed into understanding the sort of codes of how the whole world works what consequences are there beyond the whisper network thinking that you're a bit of a twat 
you know, the, it's, it's very hard for people to, um, for us to kind of have confidence, I suppose, that people will, will sort of reap what they sow. And I, you know, that's why I suppose we need sort of corrective, critical voices who will hold people to account. Although even that can kind of become quite inward looking after a while. But yeah, I suppose it was just a sort of sobering thought that people tell us our whole lives from childhood that our actions have consequences. But the kind of scary truth of adult life is actually only some actions have consequences, even bad ones. We just have no way of knowing in advance which ones they're going to be. So, you know, you could theoretically get sort of bitten on the arse for your bad behaviour at any point. But we can't, as you know, participants in the art world, have any confidence that everyone bad is going to get found out and everyone good will triumph. I guess because it just doesn't really work like that. So I'm just, I suppose I'm kind of coming to the end of thinking about this on a, a note of just that whether the artist can be trusted or not it feels sort of unanswerable to me because they they have to kind of I think for for work to kind of be successful like creatively and morally and emotionally successful you have to come at it with a kind of like good intentions and um and a, a sort of spirit of kind of respect and understanding and um and wanting to to kind of be true to the work at the very least i mean you know not i know not everything is is socially engaged you know you know in something you know art needs to preserve the right to make work that's kind of like morally ambiguous and morally compromised and and all things like that but you know your 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 sort of fidelity to to the sort of good intention of making work kind of needs to be there but at the same time we have to be realistic that maybe there are next to no consequences guaranteed if someone cheats you know it's um it's like an exam with no invigilator or something like that you know there's it's the, in the spirit of things to kind of to do things the right way but um but essentially it's always going to be your own kind of moral judgment call as an artist about whether you you're kind of trustworthy but i think the fact that we're having this conversation is uh you know hopefully means that at least two of us are right and fact who asked us to do this and you know you just have to have faith i suppose that there's that there's there's kind of there's good out there in the world and that people are getting better at spotting the bad stuff and the more eyes that are on the bad people the less kind of that'll be kind of allowed to flourish and you know maybe the art world of sort of 20 years ago where everything was kind of all about money and behind closed doors and you know very kind of secretive and of course that world absolutely still exists but you know participatory work and um work that kind of foregrounds sort of like care and inquiry and stuff like that can um can become kind of more critically important then maybe we get better at um kind of allowing the the sort of like the good stuff to win out I don't know I don't know if that's a question really but I'd love to know kind of kind of what you think I suppose a question is do you feel like things are getting better in the arts you know are, are they moving in the right direction I suppose that can be true and there can still be quite a long way to go. But yeah, I'd love to know what you think. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Hi, Tessa. Um, thank you for your notes. It's always lovely to hear from you. You've got such an amazing, soothing voice. I could actually listen to you all day. Um, whereas I think I'm a bit croaky tonight, so apologies for that. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the question you 
ended on. I mean, obviously, there was so much in what you said that I was like nodding furiously at. But the question you ended on was, um, are things getting better? Um, and it took me back. So this weekend um, was the anniversary of 9-11. And there was a lot of kind of, do you remember what you were doing on this day 20 years ago? And um I was working for um, an arts organisation that will remain nameless, um, just like in a minimum wage admin job. And the artistic director there used to make people cry. He used to like scream in your face and shout and throw things and make unreasonable demands. And yeah, it was just an absolute nightmare. But it was completely excused because he was an artist, he was a genius, he was a perfectionist. Uh, of course, he was demanding. Um, and it was almost like that he had to be that way to make great art. You know, it was, it was you know, it was two sides of the same coin. So, you know, it was completely um, acceptable for him to behave that way because of the art he was making. And he couldn't make that art unless he behaved that way. Um, which I now think is, well, yeah, absolute bollocks. But um, so on 9-11, we were all sat in the office and like just listening in like silent horror, I think, like probably most people were to what was happening. And um, he kind of stormed in like saloon style door going off its hinges, knocked the radio to the floor um, and started shouting because there was a misprint in the brochure and it was like something really minor. It was like, I think a time was wrong. And um, he basically marched us into a room, locked us in and said, we're not leaving here till we find out whose fault it was. And we were there for, for you know, some good time, not knowing what was going on in America Um but yeah, just being screamed at until everybody was in tears. And you just think, oh my God, that, that behaviour is so not acceptable. Um, and I mean, I, that was it for me. That, that really kind of put it into perspective um, that that I I wasn't prepared to be treated like that, even as a, as a young woman that, you know, is not as confident as I am now. And I, I left very shortly afterwards. And that was the moment that it clicked that that wasn't putting up with that. But um, I think there's a lot less, like, overt displays of dickishness like that now. Um, at the time, and probably even, like, for people that have been around kind of for a while, there's probably have got stories like that of this, like, um, like cult of personality around an artist or, or a creative where um, bad behaviour is, is not only kind of excused, but it's expected. It. like you're, you're less of an artist if you're not difficult and I think that's that's going out the window now um thank god um, <laughs> I think as the art world slowly but surely becomes more diverse I mean painfully slowly but you know at least I think we're moving in the right direction um I think there are more ways to be and to behave and we're starting to see that that an artistic temperament can be a gentle temperament and it can be a quiet temperament, a collaborative temperament, um, a kind temperament uh, and everything in between. It's just, you know, it, it, it's not all bound up with this this mythic figure uh, who's, who's throwing things around and shouting. Um, so, the, yeah, that's, that's a definite improvement. And like you say, I think organisations now are very keen to present a certain reputation has presented a certain image of, of, of being forces of good um you know you mentioned about the black lives matter and wanted to be perceived to care about social justice no matter how much that might just be kind of fairly superficial but the, but that's the impression that you know that the organizers want to give um so it wouldn't help to have artists or staff wandering around um behaving in that way but then you think well has it become more kind of insidious that's like the behavior is almost like it, it it's not as overt as, as um as screaming and smashing but actually it can be just as damaging i don't know you, you know you hear stories don't you about kind of email campaigns and and you know people being pushed out or whatever it might be and you think well is, is that just the same sort of behavior just manifesting itself slightly differently 
And it's still coming down to this idea that artist equals difficult. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was kind of interested what you said about accountability because it is a very small world. And I, so I, I same as you, I think I, I kind of have a variety of different jobs, different hats, um, just to kind of put food on the table. Um, so I work as a producer, so I kind of commission artists as well. And, you know, I know for a fact that I will commission artists who I enjoy working with. And that comes down to, you know, I like, I like them. Um, if I find somebody really, really difficult, I'm unlikely to want to work with them more than once. And if somebody asks me what's such a buddy like to work with, I will tell them they are really difficult. Um, and yet, yeah, I think you're right in the sense of that like lack of accountability and that if, if you can walk away, you can walk away because it's um, most commissions or pieces that you make are relatively short term. So there's not the kind of the consequences at the end or if the consequences at the end are kind of come down to um, the commissioners rather than the individual artist. But I do think that there's, it works the other way. So like if, if you've been a really kind of pleasant, fun um, I don't know if you've been a joy to joy to work with. It's been if it's been a joy creating with you and helping you manifest what it, your vision um, as a producer. Then I want to work with you again, even if things have gone wrong, even if the project's not been perfect, even if everything hasn't worked out the way we wanted. If if you've made that process something that that I have enjoyed, then I am more likely to work with you again. And I, I think that that applies. So it's not necessarily like you. Um, there's any great consequences for um, not being trustworthy. But I think if you are trustworthy, the consequences of that are that organisations come back to you again and again and again and again. Um, and you and you start to build up a really fantastic relationship with them because they know that you're trustworthy. They know, and they know that, you know, that you will... Not necessarily deliver because I said I think you know every project or every piece that you make is is going to have its own challenges, but that you're um, that there's a mutual kind of understanding there um, that they know what you're about um, and that you're not there to make their lives difficult. It's that that everybody's pulling in the same direction. Um, so I think you know the accountability is almost that making yourself extra employable by being likable I guess <laughs> I like that yeah um as opposed to um people thinking you're a great artist because you're really really difficult but maybe that I, mean, I don't know maybe that that is still a thing that it's like okay we'll get such buddy in to work on um on this project because we know they're 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 great and and we'll really enjoy and and working with them and um yeah, we work really well together. But actually, we've got this huge bit of money for the main gallery or whatever it is, and we're going to employ an artist who's, who's like, really hard to work with, but has a big name or um, has a great reputation or, we, you know, we absolutely love their artwork. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's not all as uh, sunshine and roses as, as we'd like all the time. But I just think you can only be yourself, can't you? Um yeah, I'd, I'd feel a bit ridiculous, really, making making crazy demands. Um, I know when I've had work in exhibitions in the past, and and they've kind of gone, oh, "We'll show you where we'll show you where the the piece is going." I'm like, "Okay, it's up." I'm so excited. <laughs> but then you know, I know there's that other the flip side to that is exploiting artists that kind of just want to get a foot in the door, and and therefore, you know will work for nothing. I mean, I can't afford to work for nothing. It's it's, it's not even um, like a moral moral decision to say I will not work for for nothing because uh, I'm I'm supporting solidarity with my fellow artists. It's not like I literally can't afford it. Sorry, um, but yeah, I think th- those kind of practices um, do exist. And th- yeah, there's been a kind of a whole. Um, I can't, oh, this is terrible. We're going to have to do like voice notes, like, um, not voice notes, like um, 
podcast notes, show notes, that's the word I'm looking for. We'd have to do show notes for all the things that I keep saying that I'm like, I can't remember who it was, but somebody did this. But there's there's been um an Instagram um sort of campaign recently where they've been asking artists to to tell tell them about um things that have happened to them that have been kind of exploitative organizations that that have commissioned them or um that might have bought work or whatever and you know basically use and abuse them um but it made me think about that kind of i don't know i guess like trust and and power and and we don't really talk much about power but that's kind of a big part of the trust story isn't it really um about who has it that's tony ben's like five questions isn't it who has the power how did they get it etc etc um and the power that we have as artists to um present the stories that we're given whether you know kind of in your case it's working with archive material or in my case it's working with participants um and the power that then the kind of I don't know I guess the the commissioner has to frame that or um, I don't know to, to to what they do with the work um, I don't really know how it relates I'm just thinking we've not we've not touched on it and that's, that's something I'm quite interested in um, I'm kind of a lot of my work is about class and hierarchies and I find like the art world like it's really hierarchical but it's quite a strange hierarchy because on the one hand there's this idea that the artist is at the top you know the most kind of elevated status but actually in practice I don't think that that's true um because well we're all trying to just kind of make the work we want to make and and feed our kids and um get by really um so I'm not actually sure that's where the power is held um maybe that whole thing about difficult behavior is is kind of an element of control I suppose we've talked about control a little bit haven't we but that element of control and power um so yes I'd be interested to know from you who do you think has the power I really want to break into uh, 90s dance um, snap now. But no, I'm not going to do that because nobody needs to hear that. But yeah, who do you think has the power, Tessa? And I shall talk to you later. Bye-bye. Shona, yes, you are absolutely right that, I mean, like so many things, it is essentially about power, isn't it? I realised as I was listening to your message that when I've been talking before about about trust in institutions, I was speaking very much from my own, um, you know, perspective, like fairly limited experience and, you know, as as an artist. And also with a practice that's kind of generally fairly solitary as well and quite kind of self-contained. It's definitely a different thing as an employee. Um, sort of comes back to kind of the contrast between making art and our, our kind of day jobs that we were talking about before. And um, you're right, there has been some amazing activism recently. I'm thinking about kind of how, and I suppose this kind of suggests a lot about, says a lot about the power as well, you know, how different the experience can be as an artist, although certainly not perfect and often, you know, maybe quite exploitative. Um you know to working as kind of an employee or a fairly, especially a fairly junior employee but not exclusively you know there have been very high profile people who've um who've left institutions due to kind of like systemic problems and how different that experience is I suppose so yeah it's um I'm thinking of things like Barbican stories and we industria on Instagram recently you know been doing some some amazing work to sort of highlight it all and that probably has more kind of I've got more experience of that sort of thing in my paid work I suppose than in my kind of creative practice um and you know you know I've seen bad things in in the arts and in charities and in academia I think particularly I've had you know and heard things from friends as well um it's yeah, it's it's very hard and there are there are often quite kind of complex power relations. I feel like as artists I don't know, I wonder if 
we're sometimes a little bit patronised or, you know, we're just kind of um, dealt with in a slightly arm's length way. So you're, I've maybe personally never felt this in the institutions that I've worked with, but as I say, it's quite limited, but kind of seeing it from maybe from behind the scenes point of view or, or as a, you know, or seeing kind of how kind of writers or people in bands kind of are treated, you maybe expected to to kick off and have your little opinions that um won't necessarily be taken seriously by the, the kind of the parent company. Um so there's there's kind of layers of how that power is real and kind of where it really sits and stuff like that. But I will say that having um I've also found that there's a lot of privilege with being an artist as well. You know, you 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 listen to more than you are as a sort of junior employee, and having kind of moved in similar spaces as someone making work, and or as opposed to you know someone who's maybe like temping years ago, you you're definitely treated very differently. I think, um, and and you know that's kind of I generally work with sort of publicly funded or non-profit or artist-led you know spaces that have kind of good ethical policies and stuff like that um but it's yeah it, you know it, there's there's sort of power everywhere and it kind of goes back to the fact that you know artwork is not that different to other work and I've kind of found this as I've kind of gone freelance and spent more of my time working on like fun jobs you know, there's still just a lot of emails and spreadsheets and sorry I didn't get back and, you know, filling out a form for HR and it's like, it's not that different to when I was working for a kind of community development charity or or kind of other things that I've done. Um, and, you know, hierarchies are, are kind of often unspoken these days, I think. You know, that, that story about 9-11 was... Oh God, I really, that was so interesting, but you know, I really felt like I was there. I've, I've had bosses like that, not in the arts actually, but, um, but yeah, no, I've definitely experienced workplaces like that. And, you know, hopefully it is getting harder for people to get away with behaving like that, or they're, they're kind of less indulged, but you, I think you're probably right that it has been replaced with something sort of more insidious. Um, and our kind of the degree to kind of the, to which we trust any hierarchical work space has to be kind of balanced out against i suppose the ethics and the um and the conduct of of that system generally you know, and it's th- that's the same in the arts as, as with anywhere else. You know, there there will be good universities to work at and bad universities to work at, and um, we all just. But I think the more we talk and the more we kind of like, share our stories and sort of build solidarity. The more protected we are, I suppose. So hopefully, these um, there are kind of more kind of spaces springing up online where people can kind of compare notes and talk about how they were treated and um and have kind of that sort of solidarity and and strength in numbers which I think is basically kind of what it's all about um but this has been really interesting really interesting discussion and I I I think kind of if I was going to draw any conclusions from it is that these sort of questions of trust are, are probably not the sort of thing that you can resolve easily or ever give a sort of pithy answer to, but it's just always underpinned by what you say, by these sort of power relations and by all these different kind of networks of power and privilege and wealth and kind of who can walk away from the situation and, and who can't. Um, and you know, the and people there will always be people who will like exploit that, I suppose, and they will kind of know what the the weak spots are. Um, but if we can kind of keep talking to each other and keep building 
building solidarity and looking after one another and kind of making care really central. It's kind of strange how care is being talked about so much at the moment, but it's obviously for good reason, because it's been something that, that's missing. Like, I never heard anyone mention it when I first started out. Um, and, you know, that's hopefully only for, for the better. You know, one of the jobs I'm working with at the moment, we're talking about kind of building that into our evaluations, working with artists and just making sure that everyone feels kind of like happy and supported and, you know, that, that they kind of understand how problems can can be kind of put right and um and things like that um so yeah I, I i guess it's it's not the sort of thing that you can ever kind of give a sort of yes or no answer to but but just that kind of shining a light in those dark corners and those sort of power relations and relationships and like little axes of privilege and things like that is how we understand it, I suppose. I hope that makes sense. I tried recording this a few minutes ago, but I had a sheet mask on, and although they give you a little mouth hole, it doesn't let you open your mouth nearly wide enough. So that's my little tip for anyone podcasting out there. Finish your sheet mask first. Um, yeah, feel free to chip in if you want to, but I just want to say thank you so much because this has been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it and I feel like I've, I've learned a lot and I also want to continue thinking about it as well. Thank you. Um, but take care and um, yeah, hope to meet you in real life soon and not just over voice notes. All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been part of FACT's Framework for Trust programme supported by Arts Formation. The rest of the programme can be found at fact.co.uk.